When I first started going to the gym, that was a habit that I was trying to form. There were days that I felt was feeling nervous or anxious or had gym anxiety when I was at the gym or when I was sitting in the parking lot to get to the gym because I was starting a new workout routine. I was doing new lifts that I maybe hadn't done before, or hadn't done in a really long time. And so I felt nervous and anxious that I would look like an idiot at the gym. And I think that's very common and very normal for people to feel anxious when they're trying something new, whether it be the gym, whether it be starting a new career path, whether it be you know going to a pottery class and you've never done pottery before, you don't want to look silly in front of these other students. But that's just how you feel. And I think you will never not feel that way if you don't push through the feeling and go through the storm, as it were, of that anxiety, it will stay there because you're giving it the power to keep you from doing this activity. And if you keep letting it hold you back, it just becomes stronger and you're not going to be able to break through it as easily. Welcome everyone to Life with Lisa podcast. Our mission at Life with Lisa is to share people's stories and the challenges that they have overcome so that those who are listening in can get the strength, the courage, and the hope to be their better selves. And today we have a very special guest. She has managed to overcome her own mind and created this mindset for herself, the winning mindset. And as I usually mention, Mindset is a very interesting thing because it is invisible, but it rules our lives. And you can see it, how her life has been changed ever since. And she is sharing it with her beautiful community of over 60,000 people that she's inspiring daily. She's sharing the no excuses winning mindset. And I'm so happy to have her now on my podcast. Tess, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for that gorgeous introduction. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm so honored to have you here. And I wanted to start our interview by asking you, so many people will look at your page and they will see this highly disciplined girl, so motivated, always showing up, doing so much with her life. And the question that I had, where did you start? Were you always that disciplined? Was it something you were born with? What is your journey? You know, I wish I had been born with it because that would have made things a lot easier. Um, but no, I was not born with the discipline that I have. Of course, discipline is a muscle that you build up and it becomes stronger over time. So I had to do that as well. I had to build it up as well. I've always been someone who's been very driven. Um, even in high school, I was trying to get straight A's. When I went to university, I chose a very difficult major. I always have been someone who's wanted to push myself and push my limits. But when you're pushing your limits, the thing is, is you don't actually know how far you can go. You don't really know what the cap is on your limits. And so that's something you learn through doing. That's something you learn through experience. And that's ultimately where discipline comes from. And so I learned discipline through beginning really back when I was a pre-med major in university, it was extremely challenging and extremely difficult, of course, as anyone who's been pre-med or been in a STEM major knows. It requires a lot of studying and a lot of dedication. So it really started then with 
skipping out on going to get togethers so that I could study at the library till 1am uh, for finals or just for classes in general. That's kind of where it really started. And it wasn't always successful, right? Like I did not graduate university with that major. I actually ended up switching my major my senior year because it was so challenging. And that was one of those experiences where I kind of quit, you could say, but I like to see it as a redirection. So I had built all of this consistency and discipline with studying and going to the library and learning in my classes, all these really tough concepts. But at the end of the day, when I got to my senior year, I realized it wasn't the path for me. And so with that redirection, my senior year, it opened up this whole new level of discipline and finding myself because I was really starting over. So that's kind of how it really all started was in university and going through that experience of building up all this discipline and consistency with studying for my pre-med major and then dropping out of that major and having to start over from scratch. <laughs> I honestly got the goosebumps when you were sharing your story and I'm so proud of you for two things. Firstly, that I can imagine how hard it must have been to also even think about this redirection and actually doing something else because you felt so invested into something. You've put so much effort into that and you're so driven and to not see that as a failure and as a redirection is just so powerful and to actually be able to do that because I can see how one of the things that so many do people do, myself included, once you invest so much time and energy, it's so hard to let it go. So how was that for you? How did you, what kind of story did you tell in your mind to actually be able to rephrase it and actually take that action for something that's better for you? Mm-hmm. That is a really good point that you're making. It is very difficult to start over once you feel like you've made a certain level of progress. Um, it's called the sunk cost fallacy. So you put in so much time and effort and energy into this thing and you've sunk so much of your time, effort, energy into this thing. And you don't want to start over because you see it as a waste of the effort that you've put in. And so a lot of people face that. And I, of course, have faced that as well. Um, when I decided to switch my major, my senior year of college, after I had basically all my prerequisites completed, um, that's a difficult decision because I couldn't even keep a double major. I had taken all of my classes for this major, basically, except my final one, but I couldn't even keep it as a double major. So a lot of those classes I ended up taking for no reason which of course you, I still learned a lot doing those classes and it still helped build me into the person I am today, right? So you're not really losing out on it, but on my diploma, I don't get that extra degree, right? And so when I was at that point where I was facing the sunk cost fallacy, what I started thinking about is when you're at these points where you know that this might not be the best path for you, you really have to reframe it as this is an opportunity for me to find the right path for me though. This is an opportunity for me to really go out and figure out what exactly it is that I want. And for me, that was trying to figure out what exactly career would match the lifestyle that I wanted. And so at this point, I had also kind of realized that being a physician 
going to medical school, doing residency, doing all these things, that life, when you get to the end and you are a doctor, it would have been very fulfilling. And I think I would have been great at it. But it was a little bit different of a life than I wanted to have. I wanted to have a lot more flexibility with where I worked, working abroad, maybe working from home, all those kinds of things. And some of those things I could get with other careers that I couldn't necessarily get from being a physician. And so that helped me with the reframe of this career. Yes, I'd be good at it. And yes, I'm passionate about it. But I think there is a better fit for the lifestyle that I want out there. And that's something I really push people to think about because I do um, some career mentoring as well. I really push people to think about what's the life that I want and go find a career or a passion or some entrepreneurship opportunity that helps give you that life. And that helps you find more of your purpose, I think, in life. Um, so I think that's kind of how, after this long story I just told, the, the redirection of changing my major my senior year, I kind of reframed it as this is going to ultimately give me the life I want, though. And even though I'm halfway up the mountain and I can see the top of the mountain, and now I'm telling myself I have to go all the way back down the mountain and start over, that's very difficult, um, but it's worth it in the end. That's beautiful. And also I can see that you've had so much self-awareness to ask yourself those questions and to do the reframing. And I really was wondering what kind of tools you use to actually ask yourself those questions and understand yourself better and how you managed to achieve that. Because that's something that I'm personally very passionate about. I've uh, had the fallacy that after, after I finished my university, I really wanted to find a job and become independent and earn my own money. And I thought, okay, this is just the job that the easiest to get and I should just go for it. And I was applying for the job, which would be basically accounting and audits related. And I was getting rejected at the jobs. And then I just paused for a moment and I decided to reflect, what do I actually want from life? And then I almost had to laugh because I asked myself, why on earth am I applying for an accounting job if I hate accounting? I don't want to be doing the accounting. Why was I applying? Because my mind made it, okay, the connection. Oh, it's the easiest, the fastest way to get to where you want. You want to have a job. You can go for that job. And I just had to laugh because life was basically not allowing me to go for the job. I was getting rejected because then this is not the path. This is not the path. And then I just sat down and literally started that journaling, asking myself those questions. And that was the practical tool that I used to ask myself, what kind of life do I want? And then the moment I applied for the job that was aligned with my values, I got it. It was the first job that I applied that was different. And I got it right away. And I thought, oh, wow, that's so interesting. And I wonder how many people don't even ever ask themselves that question, like, what do I actually want my life to look like? So what are some of the tools that you use to figure it out for yourself? Mm -hmm. I think you're right. A lot of it is self-reflection and also looking at the things that happen in your life. Um, for example, getting rejected from jobs or maybe not getting into the school you want to go to and not being able to access those opportunities because of something happening in the ether out there that is preventing you from reaching those things. Because it's not only how much work you can put in, it also has a little bit to do with the luck. It has a little bit to do with things just aligning right. Um, so for me, I think when I first started trying to figure out that next step and really what tools I was using, 
I read the book Designing Your Life, which the name of the author escapes me, but it is basically a self-help and uh, workbook that helps you figure out what your ideal life looks like, what things are important to you, what kind of balance you want with work and life. You know, it helps you figure out sort of some of your values related to career and just your life in general. So family life and things like that. So that was one of the things that really helped me was designing your life. It was a workbook. I also read a lot of self-help books and personal development and growth books because I've always been a reader. And so I tend to gravitate back towards books when I'm feeling stuck because they help me kind of find my way and they give me a new perspective a lot of the times on things. So I did a lot of reading and I highly recommend reading to people. I recommend books all of the time. I actually have a favorite books link on my Instagram um, that goes through the five different books that are like my most impactful books, I would say for my life. So I would really say reading was really, really key for me as well as journaling. So of course you can't just read, you have to apply the things that you learn with anything in life. So I bullet journaled a lot, making to-do lists, just making lists of things that were important to me. It sounds like nerdy and cheesy, but making lists of things that I felt like I could really have an impact on and really breaking down the steps to finding my way. Because for me, if I don't have a list or a plan, I'll feel really lost. So I started with reading and then I started doing bullet journaling and then it really came down to planning and figuring out how are we gonna pivot exploring different options, scheduling time to explore those different options um, and doing more research on different career opportunities and things like that. So I would say mainly my tools were reading, workbooks, journaling, and then getting out there and doing it and figuring it out as you go. Oh, I, I love that you mentioned two things that you mentioned learning, but also at the same time applying that knowledge because I love reading. I love reading. I checked out your five favorite books and I read three of them and the other two are now on my reading list. Um, and I found a fascinating thing that really helped me is after I read a book, I decide to, I just look, what is one thing that I can actually do right after I finish this book or while I'm still reading this book, something that I'm learning from this book and actually apply it to my own life and just see if it works. Because I meet so many people who are like, oh yeah, I also read this book. I was like, oh, and how is that? Uh, for example, seven habits of highly effective people. Oh, and how are you practicing active listening? Like, oh yeah, no, I'm not practicing. I'm just aware <laughs> of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I thought it's also so powerful when you mentioned that you also have to actually take action. So you learn new things and then you take action on what you have learned. And that combination is the most powerful one. Oh, and also I, I love the books. I, I think, I feel like you can also tell so much about the person just by the kind of books that they're reading and the fact yes. that you also so much into self-development and so much into working yourself. And yeah, why would you, why did you choose those five books? Maybe we can also mention it to the audience. If, I don't, I'm not sure if you know them by heart, but the, the five that you have on your top five list and why did you decide to choose them? Yeah, I'm going to pull them up right now so I can read the authors because I always forget. I sometimes, not always actually, I sometimes forget the authors and I just want to make sure I have a good reference for people. So I'm going to switch over right now. Um, but yeah, most of them are about self-development, mindset, 
and just really building and becoming the person that you want to be in your life because it's all achievable. The person that you want to become is someone that is out there. You just have to create them. And so the books that are on this list, I have the five of them right here. <laughs> the books that are on this list really do have a lot to do with building resiliency, building your habits, and building that mindset to become the person that you want to be. And so the five I have listed are The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, Atomic Habits by James Clear, The Defining Decade by Meg Jay, Mindset Secrets for Winners by Mark, by Mark Minervini, and then The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And these, the reason I chose these is because I've read a lot of books, a lot of self-development books, and these five, not only are they well-written, but they have great nuggets of wisdom when it comes to each particular domain that these are referring to. So for example, Atomic Habits, that's super popular. A lot of people know this book, but it's all about habit forming and habit building. So it's very specific to that specific skill of building habits. And then The Obstacle is the Way, for example, is all about overcoming obstacles and learning how to pivot from them, understand them, and really gain skill from going through those experiences. So they all kind of are in their own domain. And I would say they are probably the best in their niche as well. So for habit forming, James Clear is definitely with Atomic Habits, probably the best book on habits, at least the best book that we have access to that we've been able to, you know, see and it's gotten published. I would say he is definitely one of the best writers in that space. So these five had huge impacts on me also, how I used them, because a good book, like we've talked about, it's not only something that you read, it's something that will impact the way that you're building your life and will impact you in some way. You have to change your actions from the things that you learn, or there's no point in learning the things. So these books also lay out specific actions that you can take to achieve these things. So if you read Atomic Habits, he gives you a specific breakdown of how to actually build your habits. So it gives you a framework of how to accomplish these things that they're talking about and that you're hoping to achieve. So that's also a reason why I picked these five. They allow you to actually implement the things that they talk about, as well as helping you make some of those mindset changes to feel like you can make these changes that you want to. So that's why I have these five on there. These are my favorite five, of course, but I do think that since they are so imp implementable, is that a word? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> so you can implement them so effectively. That's also why I chose these as well. Yeah. And I also feel like whenever I read a certain book, that the book becomes the theme for my life and that while I'm reading it. So when I was reading, for example, I was listening actually to David Goggins, probably you've heard about him. If not, yeah. I think you would enjoy also his books. <laughs> he has now too. But when I was listening to Can't Hurt Me, I was, I, I cannot even describe the level of 
suffering that I w- wanted to endure. <laughs> it just, you want to wake up at five. You want to go for that run because you're listening to David Goggins. You just steal his energy. And when you're reading the book from James Clear, The Atomic Habits, you really are starting paying, to pay attention so much to your habits and which habits you want to do. So I find it so interesting that you can also read all of these different books and they become you in some way and they impact you forever maybe in some in bigger ways some in smaller ways and talking about habits in your on your instagram page you are always in the gym and i not always in the gym but you're in the gym so regularly and you definitely built that habit so was it something that you also picked up in university as part of your studies or was it something that you built later on or was it something that you've always been good at (laughs) so i did begin kind of like working out in sports and everything when I was very young. I played soccer when I was like six or something. I did swimming for a number of years when I was very young. Um, I did basketball. I did volleyball. I did something else, I'm sure. Um, I've always been involved in sports and being athletic has always been something that I've kind of gravitated towards. I didn't start weightlifting particularly until undergrad. I did that, I think it was like my junior, senior year of undergrad, I was weightlifting a little bit, but then it just kind of, I fell out of it a little. Um, then I started running again. So it's, it's kind of been something sports and movement has always kind of been something that I've done. Weightlifting really solidified itself in my life last October after I read Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, I started implementing it as a habit in my life and something that I did every day, some kind of movement. Um, whether that be walking or weightlifting. And most of the time it was weightlifting. Um, But of course, when you start any new activity, you don't want to start with a high intensity every single day because you're going to burn yourself out. And so James Clear in the book talks a lot about how to implement new habits into your life. And I utilized those methods to help me get consistent in the gym. And it's something that you really start to see the impacts of after just a couple of weeks even of being in the gym or being um, active, you start to see those changes in the way you feel, changes in the way maybe you look, and it starts to become really addicting and motivating in of itself because a lot of people ask, you know, how do you stay motivated to go to the gym? I, number one, it's discipline. So I'm not going because I want to go all of the time. Although most of the time I do want to go. It's one of those things that is so rewarding in of itself of doing it that you don't really have to be, or I don't feel I have to be motivated to do it. But when you're starting out, it is a lot harder to do something that you're not seeing the results of right away. I've heard this quote that says, you know, if you brush your teeth one day, you'll see no difference. If you brush your teeth the next day, you're going to see no difference in your teeth. But if you brush your teeth every single day for a year, then you're going to avoid cavities. You know, you're going to maybe see them be whiter. Um, But it's that consistency of brushing your teeth every single day that allows your teeth to be healthy. It's not the brushing your teeth one day. You don't see a huge change. So it's the same with the gym. It's the same with any other habit that you're trying to form. It's that consistency that really compounds and you start to see the results of. And then that snowballs into being motivated because you're seeing results. And so it kind of just becomes this habit that is a lot easier to maintain, but you do have to get over that initial hump 
um, of maybe not being motivated or not having the consistency or discipline that you need to continue this habit for a long time. Yeah. And also it's so interesting because you read Atomic Habits and you started going to the gym and weightlifting and implemented that habit. I read Atomic Habits and I started doing home workouts five times a week, but I started doing the online home workouts and I've been doing, I'm hooked. I'm, I've been doing it now for two and a half years ever since. I just feel so good after the workout that I, mm -hmm. I will just never quit. That's just the lifestyle that I want for myself. I want to have the daily movements as part of my lifestyle for the rest of my life. And Atomic Habits has been so key to help me implement that habit. And I also, I also wanted to say it's so interesting how so many people ask me how to stay motivated, whereas I always think that motivation is overrated. It's it's so much better to just invest in your discipline and just consistency and discipline. And it's okay to not feel motivated and still go and do the workout because I feel like so many people, when they see me working out, they feel like on the day I felt motivated and that's why I'm showing up and they're like, Oh wow, Lisa, you're motivated like five times a week to do a workout. I'm like, no, <laughs> of course not. Sometimes you wake up and especially in winter when it's cold and it's dark and you have to get up to do the workout. Do I want it or do you want to sleep in? Of course I want to sleep in, but then, I don't even ask myself that question because it's not negotiable. I just get up and I do the workout. So I, I do, I do find that motivation is a bit overrated and I wonder why so many people are just so in interested in being motivated. What do you, what are your thoughts regarding that? Because you also mentioned that so many people ask you, how do you stay so motivated? Mm -hmm. I think when you were talking, the big thing I picked up on is that we use the word feel to describe motivation. So we feel motivated. Do you feel motivated? I want to feel motivated. But the thing with discipline and consistency is you are disciplined or you want to be consistent. It's not about how you feel. Motivation is all about how you feel and discipline and consistency is all about doing and just showing up. So I think the big difference between the two is people are so focused on wanting to feel a certain way in order to be able to accomplish a certain task. And they don't realize that they don't have to feel like doing it. You can push yourself to just do it and take action because so many people are waiting to feel like they can or feel like they're enough to try something or feel like they are capable of doing something. And a lot of people are waiting to just feel that but you're never gonna feel that way unless you're able to take the actions that result in you feeling that way. So I'm a big believer in that your actions lead to the things you want to feel versus having your feelings lead and having that be the way that you accomplish things. A lot of people have it flipped. Does that make sense? So it's like with motivation, you're leading with how you feel and that will end up in your the results of whatever you're trying to accomplish versus with discipline and consistency, you lead with what you're trying to accomplish and you do the work. And then it results in a feeling, a feeling of accomplishment, a feeling of feeling confident in who you are because you push yourself and you now know that you are capable of doing this thing that you never thought was possible. Being disciplined and consistent leads to feeling good about yourself and leads to feeling maybe motivated. And so that's where we talk about that, um, the snowball effect of you're consistent, you're consistent, you're disciplined, and then so you feel more motivated. 
because you did that thing though, and people are missing that part, they're missing that step, they want the feeling to come first, but a lot of times it doesn't. Mike, drop. You just <laughs> so well. It was brilliant and I could have not put it better. I, oh, I just have no words, but what I want to say, it's so beautiful when you said that so many people are waiting for a certain feeling and feeling is also momentary. It's something that sometimes is there, sometimes it's not. And it's very disempowering to base your life or to try to create your life based on how you will feel in the moment, which is very momentary. Whereas how you are as a person, if you're consistent, if you're disciplined, and if you put if you work towards your goals and that's what you're gonna do, it's the most empowering feeling in the whole wide world. And I also think that's what's very interesting, how you mentioned that often it's flipped and I could not agree more because so many times people also say, I will do this thing when I'm more confident without realizing that you need to do this thing to feel more confident. And just th you cannot think yourself into being more confident. You cannot learn more. You just need to take action. And then by doing that, you will become more confident. And it's just fascinating how so many times we have it made on an intuitive level, but we get it exactly the opposite way. So that's why I'm so encouraging people to always take action because you'll never feel ready. You'll never feel confident. And so many people who actually succeed in life, they just take action. They don't wait for the feeling, they just try to be the person that is capable of accomplishing the goals that they set for themselves, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's, <laughs> it's really, I think, something that people aren't aware of that, you know, the feeling doesn't come first, the doing comes first. And I think there's something vulnerable and scary about that too, because we're asking people or asking ourselves to do something that maybe we don't even think we're capable of. And we're saying, go do this thing. And we promise that <laughs> once you do it, you will feel better. And so we're, we're asking people and we're asking ourselves to take action and take an initial step when we're not even really sure it might pay off or that it might be the right step in the long run, but you have to learn those things through doing them. And yes, you may feel great after, or you may feel not so great, but it's, it's not about the feeling. And people put so much emphasis on how they feel during the process when it's, yes, how you feel is important, right? But you, you shouldn't let how you feel guide the actions that you take in your life. For example, I'll give you a concrete example. When I first started going to the gym and that was a habit that I was trying to form, there were days that I felt was feeling nervous or anxious or had gym anxiety when I was at the gym or when I was sitting in the parking lot to get to the gym because I was starting a new workout routine. I was doing new lifts that I maybe hadn't done before or hadn't done in a really long time. And so I felt nervous and anxious that I would look like an idiot at the gym. And I think that's very common and very normal for people to feel anxious when they're trying something new, whether it be the gym, whether it be starting a new career path, whether it be, you know, going to a pottery class and you've never done pottery before and you don't want to look silly in front of these other students. But 
that's just how you feel. And I think you will never not feel that way if you don't push through the feeling and go through the storm, as it were, of that anxiety. It will stay there because you're giving it the power to keep you from doing this activity. And if you keep letting it hold you back, it just becomes stronger and you're not going to be able to break through it as easily. So there's been times where I definitely felt anxious or felt nervous or was scared to do something. But I have to remind myself, like, am I going to let this fear or anxiety or maybe just feeling tired, not wanting to do something? Am I really going to let that stop me from having the life that I want? Like, am I really going to let me feeling anxious or me not feeling like it stop me from achieving the things that I want? And when I reframed it like that, of course, the answer is no, I'm not going to let it stop me from actually getting the things that I want. So that's the way I've tried to reframe it for myself when I'm having those situations where I don't feel like it or I feel anxious to do something. You just ask yourself, do you really want that to have the power or do you want to have that power for yourself? And you be the one that makes the decision, not the feeling. I love how powerful this message is and something that I just wanted to point out from what you were just sharing is when you said that every time you face that kind of question, you have this choice to what you want to give that power. Do you want to give that power to yourself or do you want to let that fear of yours, that insecurity, that feeling, whatever it is, to give that power to that? And I feel like the more times we decide to give the power to our fear or to the feeling of the moment, the stronger it gets and the weaker we get. And the more disconnected from ourselves we feel every time we decided to give that power away to our fear or the feeling. Because every time, for example, when you sit out to work out and then you wake up and maybe you just feel unmotivated and you decide, oh, let me just keep this workout. It just once, you know. And already in that moment, there's something that is happening because you're giving the power to the feeling instead of your goals and yourself. And then you start, the relationship that you have with yourself starts, it starts to deteriorate because now you're, you're saying, oh, maybe I cannot always trust myself because I said that I will do this and now I'm not doing this. So next time when you say or you give yourself a promise, you start having this kind of conversation, but will I actually do it or not? But because now you start in giving into the fears and emotions and securities. So now you start in creating this kind of internal battle and you're making their relationship with yourself so much worse. But every time, if every time you whatever challenge happens or comes your way, you're like, no, I will still do this. I'm committed to my goals. You feel so much more empowered. You have so much trust in yourself. And I believe that's ultimately the place where you you basically get your confidence from. Because I, whenever someone is saying, I don't really feel confident, I usually ask them, how many times do you bra- break the promises that you make to yourself by yourself? And they mm-hmm. say, oh, yeah, actually, I prioritize someone else or I actually prioritize my feelings and securities, fears. And I said, of course, because you are damaging the relationship that you have with yourself. And that's so precious. And that's why I was saying when you were mentioning how every time you have this choice, whether you will give that power away or you will take that power. And 
I, I just wanted to point it out because I find it so powerful and that's the key to confidence and to live in the most fulfilled life you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really like a scale, like, you know, those old school leveling scales, um, like the sign of the Libra, which I'm a Libra. So I love balance and I love these analogies. Um, you have two sides of the scale, right? And just to put it really visually, if this is the side that says, I don't want to wake up in the morning and I don't want to go do my workout and blah, blah, blah. And you listen to that voice, it becomes heavier, right? And it starts to drag down all of your energy. And so the energy that you have to choose yourself and to choose to get up in the morning and to choose to go do your workout, it becomes a lot harder to do those things, right? Because you're getting dragged down so much by these other voices that you're listening to in your head. And when it gets to a certain point, it becomes so unleveled that pushing this part back down and trying to bring this back up to even becomes so much harder because there's such a huge gap between these two levels. So that's why it's really important to feed this side and to keep it higher, well, lower in this instance, um, and to put more energy into it so that it's a lot easier to say no to these things because they, they don't hold as much weight. They're all the way up here and you know, it's, it's not really holding that much weight on influence on what you're doing and the things that you're doing in your life. You're really heavy down here and you're doing the things that you said you're going to do. So I think about that too, visually, if I'm having a hard time getting up in the morning or going to a workout or whatever it may be, I really think about that visually. Like, do I want to bring these back closer? Or if I'm here, do I really want this guy to hold more weight and kind of take that lead because I know getting back to the middle is going to take a lot more effort. So thinking about it visually that way too really helps me because it's really, you know, what cup do you want to fill up is the same analogy with water, you know, which, which one do you want to give more energy to? Because ultimately it's not something that you do in the moment and it's like, Oh, it's a little bit uneven. And then it comes back. It takes an equal and opposite reaction to bring those back to middle. So if you're giving more effort to that voice that's saying, oh, I don't want to get up in the morning, it's going to be equally as hard to bring it back to the middle once you actually want to reset. And so the more you can avoid giving in to those voices and the more you can avoid giving into your anxiety, the stronger you become in these other aspects of things. And ultimately, the easier it is to ignore the fears and ignore lack of motivation. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I think I wanted also to share with anyone who is listening in the tool that I use personally to be able to do that uh, scaling that you were just mentioning. And I actually, it's quite funny because I started doing it subconsciously without even realizing what I'm doing, but I was like, oh, it's working. So for example, whenever I would say, okay, I'm going to work out and then I don't feel like working out and the, I hear this voice in my head saying, oh, should we skip? I would say, now we're doing double the workout. And the yes. voice in my head knows that I'm not joking. So for example, I would say, okay, you wanted to do a 20 minutes workout and you said in, in your head, you had this, should we skip it? But every time you say, should we skip it? Now it's not 20 minutes. Now you're working out 40 minutes and then you actually have to go through it and you actually have to work out 40 minutes. and miraculously that question stops popping up you know because if you <laughs> because the voice knows if she decided to do it she's gonna do it and if i'm gonna even ask her that question <laughs> she's gonna make it worse <laughs> and then the you voice is really, yes 
you bring up a really good point. Um, like how we talk to ourselves is also very important. People just let their minds talk and talk and talk and talk and say, oh, like, do we really want to do this workout? Or we don't really need to apply for jobs today. Like we can do it tomorrow. Like you just let this voice talk and talk and talk and talk. And I'm like, you don't need to let it keep talking. Like it's your own internal monologue, your own internal thoughts. You don't need to just let it keep going. Like you can tell it no. You can tell your mind to not say those things. You can change how you think and really take control of the internal story that you're telling yourself or, you know, just those little questions that it might ask, like, oh, we should just go back to bed though, right? Like you can kind of control what goes on in your head. And I think not a lot of people practice that enough um, because like you mentioned, it will quiet over time. Like it will start to go away because you know, you know that, no, you're, you're going to do the workout and there's no point in even asking if you're going to do the workout because it's just who you are. You're just, you're just not mm -hmm. giving into that voice. And the voice also knows that. And I feel like it's so much easier also to be 100% consistent than 95% consistent, because then you have to resist every time those like 5%. Whereas when you say, no, when I set out to work out, I will work out no matter what, then you don't even have, you don't, you have nothing to fight because you just know that you're going to do it. And I find that so powerful. And at the same time, I feel like, again, with having that voice, if you're not aware, because I feel like what helped me was to meditate or to do workouts, because also when you do workouts, sometimes if you work out without any sounds or music, you hear your own thoughts and then you become aware of your own thoughts and you cannot distract yourself in any way. So then I found it very powerful because you start realizing the thoughts that you never even were aware that you were having. And then you can also quiet them down like, oh, interesting. But I don't have to believe that. I don't have to act upon that. And if you just constantly just like you can have the chatter in your mind, like we don't have to apply for jobs today. We don't really have to do that, but you're not even aware of it, but it can change your behavior. So I feel like it's so important for, for anyone just to start becoming more aware as a first step. And then like you can take action to quiet your mm -hmm. mind. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and also, I find that working out is one of the best tools to actually practice practice working on your mindset. I don't know if you also found, find, found it mm -hmm. as a great tool to work on your mindset, basically like on a daily basis, because mindset is something invisible. And so many people ask me, how can you actually improve your mindset? How can you see that if your mindset is different, how can you practice it? And I feel like for me, it's working out because working out mm -hmm. is a reflection of that internal dialogue that's going on in your head. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, I would definitely agree. I think like you mentioned too, meditation is also really key. Um, you know, if someone says that they can't sit and meditate to me, that's like a little bit of a red flag. I'm like, Hmm, you can't sit with your own thoughts. Like that, that's a little bit of a red flag. Um, because for me, like meditating has been such a big part of my life as well. You mentioned you do meditate as a lot as well. Um, because if you're not even aware of what you're thinking and kind of the things that you're telling yourself, how are you supposed to change it? So meditating, I will say, first of all, yes, that has been something that I've done for a while that has been really helpful and working out as well. Yes. Working out is one of those things that 
you really, especially with weightlifting, but also with long distance running or really anything that's going to be straining your body and pushing your limits. Um, it's something that you have to focus on getting better. You have to push yourself in the moment. You have to really attempt things that you have not done before because with weightlifting, especially you have personal records, right? Like you have a maximum weight that you've been able to lift for a certain number of reps. And when you get a new PR, a new personal record, that is something that you've never done before. Like you've never lifted this much before. And so you're pushing your limits, you're pushing your boundaries. And when you're in the gym and you're working out, of course, there's days where sometimes you're just going through the motions, right? Like every once in a while, it's just, you really did not want to go to the gym today, but you know what? We still do because that's just who we are. We do it because we say we're going to do it. And you went to the gym and it was an, it was an okay workout. Like you did the normal things you do, but then there's the days where you go and you're just, you're ready or maybe you're not and you show up and you start getting into it and it just feels really good. You're able to push yourself really, really hard. And, you know, we push ourselves on the days when we don't feel like it either, but on those days where you are feeling good and you're starting to get into your lifts and you're pushing yourself, you get to those top sets where you're at the end of your reps, the last like two, three reps of your set. And it's difficult. Like it should be very difficult to get the weight up at that point. And so you're really pushing yourself. Same thing with long distance running. Maybe you're at the last mile of a 10 mile run and you just want to stop running, but you want to push yourself to keep going because you said you're going to do a 10 mile run today. Or for me, I said I was going to lift this weight for 10 reps or whatever it is. And so those last little reps or that last mile are really the part where you have to push yourself. And that's really where you can tell the difference between people. Some people are going to stop running or some people are going to not push that weight up for the last two reps. And it shows you the divide between the people who are going to push themselves and who think they're capable and want this, like really want this. And the people who, you know, mm, I can, I can try tomorrow or mm, I'm just really tired. Like I need to take a break. So those last couple reps or the, that last mile is I think really where the growth happens for me in the gym, because that's where you start to have these conversations with yourself sometime, especially early on when you're starting a new habit or some new career or a new workout, new workout routine. Those last couple reps is where you want to quit. And that's where you start talking to yourself in your head. Oh, I'm really tired. Like I could just not run this last mile or this weight is really heavy. I don't know if I can get another rep. I'm not even going to try. So it's those parts of training that, really show you what you're capable of and really show you what your mindset is like. Because if there is any of that voice that wants to talk to you and say like, Oh, you could just stop now. It will, it will come up and it will say it. And you will realize, you know, that you really need to push yourself a little bit more um, and really lock in to the thing that you're doing and the thing that you really want to accomplish. I find that that voice basically will determine who you want to become. So if you mm -hmm. decide 
it's literally exactly what you were mentioning. It's those last reps, last miles, which really determine who you will become if you decide just to push through it and you it gets stronger. And I also wanted to say maybe sometimes maybe sometimes there would be days then when you do decide to give up, but it needs to be 90% of the time when you persevere and continue and push through it. Mm-hmm. And even, even a more interesting thought that I actually got introduced to by get David Goggins, he was saying that when he was doing his training and then it was a very long run and he's running with a group of people and there is the team commander in front of them. And then everyone is like, oh, okay, we're almost there. We're almost at that mark, you know, we will we will stop soon and then when they reach that mark the commander keeps on running mm-hmm. <laughs> because people started smiling they're like okay we're almost there will the suffering will stop and then the commander keeps on running because basically he didn't want them to know where the end is so that's to see for, for them to be able to be to, to be prepared for the long distance, for the long run. And I feel like this is what life is because with our careers, with our jobs, with our workout routine, it's, some, it's a, something that you'll be doing for the rest of your life. It's this journey that you go on. There's no, not an end. And it's so interesting how our minds can get so happy when we're like, oh, okay, it's ending now. Like the suffering is ending. Whereas most of this, mm-hmm. we will still need to wake up tomorrow and do again the same thing or wake up another day and still continue on with the struggle and this challenge. And David Gorgon said, when the end is unknown, that's where you figure out who you are. When you don't know how long you still need to go and you still manage to keep on going and to keep showing up. And I think it's so beautiful. And that's something that attracts me a lot to entrepreneurship because with entrepreneurship, you don't know how many days you still need to keep showing up until anyone can even see your success or results. So you're just there grinding, grinding, grinding day after day with your friends and families thinking that you're a crazy person, but you see some kind of goal that nobody else can see. <laughs> and yes. I find that it's just such a powerful mindset just to add on what you were saying. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is so key because like we mentioned earlier with the teeth brushing analogy, like you brush your teeth one day, like nothing really is going to change. It's the act of doing it every single day that results in, you know, preventing cavities and whatever. Um, so it is the doing every single day, but like you said, and what David Goggins said about, you know, you are who you are when you don't know when the end is actually going to come. Like you, that really shows your true character of how often you can show up and all those kinds of things, because, in life, usually you, you don't know when it's going to happen. Like you don't know when you're going to reach that next level that you're really striving for. So you can do something every single day for a year and nothing changes. And I feel like even doing something every single day for a week, people will quit when they don't see change, but it's compounding. Like it adds up over time to do these things. And I think a lot of people just quit too early on in the process, they get a weekend or two weeks in or a month in or three months in. And they think, you know, I, I'm not really seeing anything different. I'm not any closer to my goal, I feel like. And so they quit. But as we, most of us in self-development know, it's not a linear path. Like you're not going to go on this nice little ride up to your goals. It's going to go up and down and take a bunch of twists along the way. And 
I think when you put in the effort, some people expect there to be an equal output for that effort or an equal reward for that effort, but that's not how it always is. And so being aware of that, I think builds a lot of resiliency too in the journey of knowing that, yes, I might do this every single day, but that might not necessarily give me the equal and opposite output. But in the long run, it will build up and become the thing that I'm really working towards. So I think that's really, really key. And I also liked what you said about um, it's okay to not, what did you say? You said something like, um, it's okay to have an off day every once in a while, but having 90% of the days be the days that you're, you know, pushing through and following through and being disciplined and being motivated. I think a lot of times too, people misunderstand self-development or misunderstand like these kinds of messages that you should push yourself and you should show up every single day. And that, that's not to say that we don't think there will be times where we slip up. You know, James Clear in Atomic Habits says, you know, you miss something one day, that's a mistake. You miss it two days in a row, that's a forming a new habit. And I feel very similarly about discipline and chasing your goals and chasing your dreams. Like you don't have to be perfect every single day, but it's showing up every single day. And if you do mess up one day or make a mistake one day, it's coming back the next day and fixing it. So you don't have to be perfect. It's just the practice of trying to work towards these things every single day and trying to become 1% better every single day is everyone says 1% better every day. That's like the catchphrase I feel like these days. Um, those are the things that are going to compound and really change your life and help you become the person that you want to be. I feel like it's never about being perfect, but it's always about striving for that ideal or the best version of yourself you could be and showing mm -hmm. up as that version of yourself most of the days. And I feel like that's where the power lies. And talking mm -hmm. about the journeys and the lifelong journeys, where can people follow you on your journey? Where can people connect with you? Yes, they can connect with me on Instagram. That's my main platform. It's at growth with Tess. So it's a growth community about how we build our best life. And, you know, we really are trying to build our best life together. So I'm doing it with all of you. I'm out here day in and day out going to the gym, making content, etc. Just, you know, on my own grind as well. And I'm trying to share that journey with people. So Instagram is the spot to find me. And you can also find the list of those five favorite books from the link in my bio. So you can grab them and read them as well and come along this journey with me. Beautiful. And my last question would be, let's imagine you're 80 years old, you're looking back on your life and you think, I wish I've done that. So now we go to this present moment. There's already something, you know, you know that you already know that you should do, but you have not done it yet. What would that something be for you? That's a difficult question. I like to. It is a difficult question because I think right now in my life, I've kind of like realized that things get revealed to you in stages. And so when I was 20, I could not have imagined like who I am right now, if that makes sense. And so I feel like for this stage in my life, I feel very 
satisfied and proud and happy of like kind of where I am. And I feel like I'm just at the bottom of the mountain and there's some like crazy, amazing, like future up here. And I know some of the things I'm working towards to create that future for myself. Right. Um, but I feel like I'm chasing all the things that I want right now, but I know for me, it's a lot of its career, a lot of its legacy, a lot of its, you know, friendships and love and all those kinds of things. Um, and I think for me, like when I'm 80, I really just hope for myself that I was able to live my life to the fullest. I think if you do it right, you only need one life because you've been able to accomplish all the things that you want to. You've been able to push yourself. You've been able to do the things that you set out to do. And that would be the most rewarding thing ever to be 80 and look back and be able to say that I did everything that I wanted to, or at least I feel like I was able to accomplish the life that I wanted for myself of pushing myself and doing as much as I could to reach my goals. I think that's what I really hope for myself when I'm 80. I would, I really hope when I'm 80 that there's not something that I look back and regret that I didn't do. That's one of my worst fears. And so my hope for myself is that I don't have that thought when I'm 80. <laughs> um, so we'll see. I think right now I'm on track to not having that thought when I'm 80. And I just really want to keep pushing myself to take risks because I've actually kind of always been someone who doesn't really take risks. And I've become a lot more of a risk taker the older I get. And so I do want to push myself to keep taking risks and not have regrets when I'm older. But I think, like I said, life is revealed in stages. I'm sure there will be a stage coming up where there's something new that I need to be courageous about and I need to step up for myself to be able to follow through on something so that I don't have those thoughts when I'm 80 that, oh, I wish I had done this thing. So when you were, when you were mentioning that, imagine yourself when you're 80 and you have something you didn't do that you regretted. I was like, I hope that doesn't happen. Cause that's, that is, I just feel like that is the ultimate waste and failure, personal failure. And I actually feel like a lot of people do have that experience. And that's something I'm really hoping to help other people avoid is going to the grave, wishing you had done more or wishing you had taken more risks or wishing that you had done something differently. And of course, there'll be things that we do that we regret and mistakes that we'll make, but the big things in our life, I really hope that people become more confident, take more risks because it's the ultimate failure and ultimate regret to get to your final stages in life and wish that you had done something. That's beautiful. Tess, thank you so much for coming onto the show. It has been such a pleasure to have you here. And I do believe that this conversation would be life-changing for anyone who is who listened this far and everyone will have something they can take away from this conversation. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. You're a wonderful host. I love what you're doing. 
And I think you're bringing a lot of value to those that are listening. So thank you so much. Aww.